This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We give you all the viral stories that are just about to drop. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. If you keep scrolling, 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 and you're never gonna stop, then please, oh please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. From stupid songs and dances, all the cultural advances, we will cover them from bottom to the top. Just please, oh please, oh please, oh please, I promise you'll appease our please, oh please, oh please don't let this flop. Hi, I'm EJ Dixon. And I'm Brittany Spanos. Welcome to Don't Let This Flop. A podcast about TikTok and internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. So if you've been on TikTok at any point over the past week, there's one sound that has likely haunted your every waking moment. You hear it when you get up in the morning. <laughs> you hear it when you go to bed. Um, you say it to yourself when you're in meetings, when you're brushing your teeth. <laughs> and that sound is obviously Julia Fox giving the following interview to Alex Cooper of the Call Her Daddy podcast. Would you, because everyone's like, would you consider yourself Ye's muse? Yeah, a little, maybe. What is a muse? I mean, I was Josh Safdie's muse when he wrote Uncut Jazz. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like things like right. that. Like I, The utter chokehold this sound <laughs> has had on TikTok. Have you been getting this on your For You page? Like it, it can't just be me. I've been getting it for the last... I guess, I don't know, a week, few days. I don't even know time anymore. But, like, it's been all over. I'm not getting, like, celebrities doing it. Like, Shay Mitchell. There was a video with her doing it. There's that guy who's, like, in a bunch of Marvel stuff but isn't, like, one of the Marvel superheroes who's just, like, one of the older guys who, I don't know, I think S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. I don't watch Marvel. But, like, he was doing it. Is it Clark it. Greg? Sure. That sounds <laughs> right. Is it a hot, bald guy? Um, yes. Yeah, Clark yes. Greg. He's, and he's been on he did it recently. Yeah, so it's just been, everyone's been doing it. I just say it. I, I I literally, like, I will sit at my computer and I'll be doing something entirely different and I'll just be saying it to myself over and over. Like, Anka Jam. Anka Jam. Anka Jam. You know, in 2040, when I have a teenager and they're like, who's Julia Fox? And I'll say, she was Josh Safi's Miz and Anka Jams. How do, you, how do you spell it? Uh... I feel like he's just like, you have to add the ah, and then it's just a lot of, I don't even know, just nonsense, like gibberish pronunciation in there. It's not even real words. Do you think it's like, it's, it's Z, U, I think it's U-N-C-A-H. Yes. J-A-H-M-Z, maybe? Yeah, I feel like it's like one of the, you know, like those like pronunciations where it's like weird sort of lines over each letter. It's like that with gems. (laughs) <laughs> like in like in like an umlaut. Yes. And an accent. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the reason why this has gone wildly viral? Well, I mean, it's in part obviously just because people pronouncing things in funny ways is kind of always popular on TikTok. Yeah. Like I'm thinking in particular of this um gravelly voiced himbo last year who did the video about girls kissing him after putting him on, after putting on chapstick. Do you remember that video? If I asked the girl for chapstick and she just pulls me and they kiss me, 
I would simply just pass away, bro. Yeah. yeah, which everyone and their mother mocked, and and the celebrities got into it too. So like, including Doja Cat. Yeah. Uh, um, but also, I think it's kind of bigger than that because Julia Fox, who we've talked about on the podcast many times before, has had quite a dizzying narrative over yeah. the past few weeks. We've been really up and down with her. I feel like, especially because where we started with Julia, even you know. Like, in late 2019, early 2020, it was, like, such, like, a, a hero narrative, right? Like, un- being in Uncut Gems was, like, the Uncut big... Uncut Gems. <laughs> it was, like, we such a big... We can't call it by... It has to be Uncut Gems. Yeah. For the and rest of time. she jo- was Josh Safdie's muse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, things like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, with that film, though, she was, like, that was such a big moment for her and a breakthrough moment. And, of course, we didn't really hear too much from her. It's not like she wasn't present. Um, But, of course, having your big career breakthrough right before a global pandemic is not the best timing. But she's made such a weird and huge comeback over the last few months. Of course, there was a lot of the the controversy with the father of her child, where that went very viral about her talking about that. And then immediately after, she's thrust into this big whirlwind relationship going from carbone to carbone with Kanye West. And so it's been really, really up and down where there was kind of a celebration of that. And then it became very overexposed and insufferable and just completely fizzled out in the end. Yeah. So the the latest update with that is, um, you know, it seemed at first like a pretty mutually beneficial relationship like you know she was clearly loving the attention and Kanye was kind of you know very transparently as we've discussed before using this relationship with this emerging star to get back at Kim um and Julia you know it was a really great opportunity for her to be back in the spotlight because her career had been pretty much stagnant since Anka Jams came (laughs) out and and I think a lot of us, ourselves included, thought that her transparency about loving the attention and, like, why she was in this relationship was kind of charming. But that all started backfiring pretty quickly for yeah. a few reasons. And the, and the first reason is this New York Magazine profile that came out about her a couple days ago with, honestly, did you read, did you read, you, you did read the piece, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the, stu- yeah. and you, and more importantly, you saw the photos. yes. The stupidest I mean, photos gonna, I've ever seen in my life. Okay, so the, <laughs> the background, the fo- Jurgen Teller, I don't know. He's very controversial. He does these, like, photos that look like they were taken on, like, the Canon point-and-shoot I had in seventh grade. You know, like, they look like like Facebook photos um, that I would post, like, you know, just of my friends at bad theater after parties. Like, you know, it's just, like, not they're not very good, but they're also, like, always, like, very, like slubs and high fashion things doing like weird shit. So he's been doing a lot of work lately. And of course, Julia Fox being in the moment that she is doing this was already kind of the people who didn't get it really did not get this. And then also it doesn't help that he did a similar shoot with similar scenes with Kim Kardashian years ago, um, where it was like Kim on like this construction site in like pantyhose and, and like a bodysuit sitting very seductively on a pile of dirt. And of course, Julia is is splayed across a, a giant pile of dirty snow. 
<laughs> and her friends are all like the, the the piece is also about her like um coterie of hangers on um who are these minor celebrities in New York and her friends are all like dressed weirdly and posing awkwardly and the piece itself does a pretty good job of making them all seem kind of like self-important idiots um yeah it, Julia less so and her friends more so but definitely does not make Julia look good and the other reason like really it has nothing to do with Julia herself, but with Kanye, because as we discussed last week, his behavior has just started getting more and more erratic. He at one point was basically publicly threatening Kim and her new boyfriend, yeah. Pete Davidson, on a daily basis. He's bullying her using Northwest's uh, TikTok account as a weapon. Um, and the narrative was like, oh, I'm fighting for my family. But it really and he and he deleted yeah. all these posts and he apologized. But it really seemed like he is in a serious mental health spiral and none of that i think was reflecting was either reflecting particularly well on julia um and also people started getting really concerned and it was her. also it was also like on top of all of that it wasn't like kanye had ever really claimed julia too i think that was also another complication with it like there was never everything he was doing was to get get kim back yeah and i think Julia doing as many interviews as she did, doing the um, the Fox News updates with Interview Mag, where she's talking up this whirlwind romance. Like every single New York Post article was like a source close to Julia Fox says, you know, it didn't help that the outward image was Julia sort of over, um, I don't know, overexposing the relationship on her own and kind of like giving more credit than there was, than they really needed for their romance and making it seem like a much bigger thing instead of like a, I don't know, they, she kind of just like stumbled into this and it was brief in a, and she was sort of, she was used in a lot of ways for, for Kanye to kind of make his big appeal to Kim. But, um, you know, that also sort of, I think to people kind of made Julia a little bit of a, a laughing stock in that way. Yeah, and and it made her even more of a laughing stock after the relationship ended last week, like pretty abruptly. Yeah, she's photographed crying at an airport, and then she says, she puts out this story on Instagram, like being like, "For the record, I haven't cried since you know this specific date, 1997." Um, <laughs> <laughs> she starts, and then she starts getting into this really outrageous beef with Azalea Banks. Um, I mean, okay, that. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a, a, a an honorable thing, right? Like, if you are getting in a beef with Azealia Banks, like, that's a pretty... that's makes a lot of it worth it. But, yeah, the beef with Azealia also got very out of hand because Azealia made a lot of really great points early on in the beef, but, of course, it is Azealia Banks, and it did spiral out of control to the point where she was, you know, talking about... Um, Julia Fox's past drug use and making it sound like Julia was still using. She posted a photo of um, Julia injecting heroin, but also to be clear, that photo was not like a real photo of Julia Fox using drugs. That was a photo from an art book that she had released. So it was a, a posed photo for this art book that she had released um, back when she was in her early twenties. Um, but, and then also then it escalated to Azealia Banks then being extremely transphobic um, and being, extremely cruel about uh, Richie Shazam, who is Julia Fox's best friend and who is trans and saying a lot of really nasty things about trans people and then going on a rant about gender identity. So it it all escalated badly for everyone. I mean, here's the thing about Azalea Banks. 
My 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 best friend um has celiac disease. And one day and she had she was on the subway and there was this crazy man next to her on the subway as you know as there usually is. And she farted and yeah. She and the whole subway car, it was such a bad fart. The whole subway car, like the crowd spread apart. And the crazy man next to her was like, it was me. It wasn't me. Like it was this nasty bitch. And she just kind of like let it happen so she could avoid taking responsibility for the fart, even though like that crazy man was right. And I feel like Azalea Banks is is like that crazy man. Like... (laughs) Nine I times. thought the story was going to be like, and then Azealia Banks was on the subway car. <laughs> no. I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, was Azealia, did she make a, a tweet or an Instagram story about the fart? No, 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 no. Is it? No, the comparison. <laughs> that was a real roller coaster for me personally. I didn't know where that was going to go. Because nine times out of 10, she's going to say the absolutely insane shit that yes. makes a- no sense. But one time, like when she was talking, when the- this whole thing started, she was talking about like, how unhinged Kanye was being and how he was, you know, a sociopath and, like, bullying Kim. And she was spot on about that. And then she just, nobody takes her seriously because everything else that comes out of her mouth is just insane. I kind of, I disagree to the point where it's like, I think Azealia Banks is right most of the time. The problem is that every time she makes a good point, she buries a grave for herself by making a worse point. So, like, this started out with a very good point about Kanye and then escalated to more good points about Julia and then escalated to being, you know, her and Julia getting into like a, a what seemed like a very, it seems like they were friends. There are photos of them together. They have clearly texted many times, like they're posting texts with each other. Um, they were friends. It seems like they have a personal beef with each other that we don't know about. Um, and then it escalated again into very severe transphobia and a rant about gender identity being a product of like, um, you know, white culture making black people sort of assimilate to it. Yeah, I mean, Azalea Banks is like Cassandra. She's like such a yeah. Cassandra. Like she, <laughs> everything, she'll occasionally have these like pearls of like genius. Yeah. But everything else that she says is just like nobody wants to listen to it because it's just fucking crazy. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't think it reflected this beef with like Azalea Banks reflected very well on mm-hmm. Julia just like the public, ongoing public messiness. And I think, I really do believe Anka Jams is the nail in the coffin. Like yeah. Now I'm, she's, like, especially that other celebrities are doing it, it does seem like people have moved to, she was a cool girl in a movie who was, like, in, like, suddenly a very weirdly famous relationship. Um, and now she's kind of, like, a little bit of a a celeb joke. I I wonder how much this strategy of using this very public relationship with Kanye to sort of leverage yourself back into the spotlight. I I mean, we always were kind of skeptical about how sustainable that would be in the long term. But I think, you know, getting roasted by TikTok teens is the first major sign that this is not going to work out the way you think. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So speaking of chaotic straight people, <laughs> have you heard of Dana and the Wolf? Straight people. <laughs> Perfect segue. <laughs> Honestly, like flawless segue. <laughs> so that is the TikTok name for my new nemesis, Dana Hobson and Daniel Wolf, a polyamorous couple who make some of the most cringe content I have ever seen on the internet. So to preface, I am a supporter of polyamory. I don't, this is not against the actual act of how they do their relationship. I have made mm-hmm. friends who have practiced it for years. I have dated people who are poly. I have no issues with their lifestyle as it as they have chosen. Go forth and date and fuck whoever you want to and however you want to. But Dana and Daniel have a distinct way of making polyamory seem both extremely uncool and deeply mortifying, and it makes me shiver at the thought. Mm-hmm. So let's let's hear a little bit of of them talking about. They're Dana meeting Daniel's new girlfriend. Dana, Sandy, Sandy, Dana. Yeah, Daniel, I think we know each other's names by now. <laughs> so, um, do you want to go downtown? We could walk, because we're really close to it. I don't know if you like to walk. Yeah, I love to walk. I walk all the time. Cool, cool, us too. Basically, they do these sort of like poorly acted scenes and mm-hmm. These are what they think that a, a typical polyam like, they feel like they're representing in a lot of ways, like what it looks like to be polyamorous and like what it is to date as like a polyamorous couple. They feel like it's kind of like a how-to. They do also do a lot of advice videos, um, but neither of them can act. And it's also like, not even like just because they, there's a lot of people who can't act on TikTok, but it's also just like really awkward to watch. And I feel like it's because they have this sense of the way that they explain their own polyamory and how they function in these relationships is that they're both deeply hot and that they somehow are like very deeply wanted by everyone. Like even the way they talk about like the girl that texted him in that video was just like, okay, it's not, how are you? Why, why do you have so much of this? Like almost too much self-worth in terms of how hot you think you are in this situation. But they've been doing this long-running series on meeting your boyfriend's girlfriend. And it's just awkward and strange how they approach talking about dating generally. And also how they specifically talk about the people that they're dating or interested in. Um, I just find it so self, self-absorbed and and cringe. And yeah, it's like almost like it. this revolving cast of like props that go like in and out of their yes. lives. It's it's I have so I have a lot of issues with this. Um, but I think the primary issue that I have with it is, um, and again, and this doesn't really reflect my bias against polyamory. I I have nothing against polyamory specifically. I think a lot of polyamorous people sort of, the people who tend to gravitate toward polyamory tend to be, this is not always the case, but they tend to be very self-righteous and high-minded about, you know, gravitating toward that lifestyle. Like we can, you know, we can do this because we're on like a different, you know, spirit. It's almost like they they're on they, they think they're on like a different spiritual plane. It's they, it's kind of like a religious yeah. a religious faith because they just believe it with so much further like fervor. 
And these, I think these people definitely are coming at it from the same place. Like they, they just feel so superior to the people who, you know, can't make polyamory work for whatever reason or don't want to, that they just feel the need to like constantly dispense quote unquote advice about how to do it correctly. And I just don't, (laughs) it's just so painful to watch. And I also, I feel like when polyamory is done effectively and correct and, you know, in a way that is um, supportive to the relationship, it's also supportive to the relationships that the partner is having with other people. Like it, it seems like the way they talk about the people that they date and the people they're partnered with is like, they're like, like you said, props or like toys or like these things on, I don't know. It's just like, it is very cringy and weird how they approach talking about the people that they're, you know, pursuing or with on the side. Like, it's just sort of like an experiment with each of these people. Um, And almost like, I don't know. I I feel like they're, they're trying to make a point about like communication between them, but then it kind of comes across as sort of shitty about how they relate to the people that they're interested in or dating on the side. So it just comes off bad. I do wonder if there's a way that they could have done it well, because it's clear that their intentions are good, you know, at least in theory, like they want to destigmatize polyamory and they want to, you know, kind of shed light on how mundane the experience can be and like shed light on polyamorous people. Then they're not necessarily some kind of like, you know, perverse other, but, and I respect that. Like I, I, I think that comes, the intention comes across, but it's, I just wonder, like, is there a way that they could have done it without being so cringy like is there a way for po- like you know uh, socially good polyamory content to like exist on tiktok i don't know if there is i don't know i feel like all polyamory content i see is so cringe yeah exactly it's like it's i think it's really i feel like because people are trying so hard to normalize it normal things are very cringe you know it's like we mm-hmm. talk about straight people in this segment constantly like it is it's deep. It could be very deeply cringe. Even like monogamy is often very cringe. Like it's all like relationship advice or sort of trying to, I feel like when people are trying to present an idea of what a healthy relationship is, no matter if it's monog- monogamous or polyamorous, it comes off cringe because it cu- it comes off with that self-righteous nature of it. Like you are somehow the expert on how this can work out. So it's hard. It's hard. There is not like a lot of good ways to do it effectively, especially when you are doing a sort of like straight presenting couple share TikTok situation. Like it's really hard to do that and not be cringe. I can't think of a single couple on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube that has not been cringe no matter what they practice in terms of their their lifestyle. I, I do like the the comments about this. Like I've seen, um, I th- I first saw them on Twitter. Like I saw like people sharing this, like one of their videos on Twitter um, a few weeks ago. And a lot of the comments were like wondering if they were planted by big monogamy to make polyamory seem bad and uncool. <laughs> <laughs> like it was just like this, like this idea from like some sort of like conservative media corporation that's like, we're going to plant this... A- awful couple <laughs> on TikTok <laughs> and make it look like the worst possible thing ever to be polyamorous. Honestly, it would be an amazing Project Veritas um, <laughs> project, like James O'Keefe like planting this like polyamorous couple on TikTok. Yeah. 
<laughs> to try to to try to make monogamy look good. Yeah, I yeah, because also like the way that they talk to like the way that they kind of do the fake theatrical form of communication between each other too is like I again like I have many many friends who are polyamorous and have been polyamorous for years. They I and I know like the their primaries like they have never spoken to each other like that. I've literally never seen any poly couple I know speak to each other like that. Like it's how like is it so, different? How is it different? Like I feel like just the way that they're kind of talking about it, like like two bros kind of talking about like oh yeah I like met this hot chick the other day. <laughs> like they're not like no like they, they communicate with each other. Yes, they're like yes I'm like going on this date, but they're not like and they have strict rules around it. Like they have sort of like boundaries for themselves, but they're not like, oh yeah, I met like the hottest chick with like big tits at this restaurant. And like, now I'm going to like blow her brains out. Like I'm just like, it's like. Uh, I just <laughs> snorted. <laughs> That's the way they talk to each other in the video. It's so embarrassing. It's so weird. It's like, you're that, it's just like, be, be chill. I don't know. I'm I'm in a long-term monogamous relationship and you know the the prospect of being Paul it Polly has like come up, you know, in passing like very yeah. early on. You know, I think it does for every long-term monogamous yeah. relationship. And every time it's just like I cannot think of anything more fucking exhausting. Like I am too it's, lazy seems like for so this. It's so much work. It's so much work. And these yeah. people seem like they're just spending like how do you how do you have the time to like so, so juggle much work. multiple relationships and like also watch like inventing Anna on Netflix and like <laughs> have a job and like do your taxes. It just seems so hard. Yeah. Like I've I've dated a, a lot of guys who are like in open relationships or open marriages. And I'm like, I don't know how you scheduled this. Like I'm I'm just chilling. I was like, this is too much. I was like, they I don't want to put doodles. this in. My... Yeah, I was like, I'm not putting this in a Google calendar. Like <laughs> just <laughs> Like, I don't care. I really genuinely don't care enough to continue this. <laughs> like, it's too much work. I was like, I can't schedule. I can't schedule around two people's lives. I can barely schedule around my own. Much like the big monogamy conspiracy theory, TikTok elevates a lot of them. And if you guys aren't familiar, flat earth is basically the belief that the earth is flat, not round. It's probably most well known for being promoted by Kyrie Irving a few years back. And it's typically been considered a very fringe theory, and many people haven't taken it particularly seriously because obviously there's ample evidence dating back hundreds of years that disprove it that most rational people would believe. But though it may seem silly and innocuous on the surface, there's increasingly been a lot more overlap with other more dangerous conspiracy theories, such as QAnon and the anti-vaccine movement. And it's making a comeback in part because of platforms like YouTube and TikTok, which has been playing host to a lot of this content. So we wanted to make sense of this movement. So we decided to have Kelly Weil, who recently wrote a book about the movement, to chat about her research. So please welcome Kelly Weil, author of Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy, Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. Kelly, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. So what actually led you to start reporting on on flat earth theory to begin with? So um, I have always watched weird people online. It's kind of a hobby. It's become a profession. Um, And as part of my job for the Daily Beast, I was monitoring some extremist forums in like 2017. And I started seeing people post about flat earth theory. And I thought they were kidding. Like I thought they were just being trolls, whatever. Um, And then I dug in and I found out that they were extremely serious. And there was this whole burgeoning community that 
the earth was absolutely flat. Can you explain what the roots of this theory are as outlined in your book? Absolutely. So some background info, people tend to think that flat earth is um, a really long held belief that like Columbus thought he might go over the edge of the flat earth when he was exploring. And that's not actually true. We've known for thousands of years that earth was round. Um, But flat earth came roaring back in the mid 1800s. Um, It's like one guy's fault. He is a really interesting figure, a former leader of this failed socialist commune. Um, That didn't work out. He pivoted into selling snake oil, and that kind of got him some moderate success. But where he really struck gold was when he started proposing that Earth was flat based on some observations he'd made while um, like hanging out in this canal when he should have been running his commune that was running into the ground. Um, And because this canal was super long and straight, it really did sort of look like a flat earth if you were only observing that with the naked eye. He uh, published his findings. Effectively, he lied. You know, if you Mm -hmm. do any basic scientific work, any rudimentary measurements, you're going to find that Earth is round, and you can observe this very with the naked eye or with the telescope. But he published these um, fabricated findings, started mm-hmm. releasing books, started going on a lecture circuit, and people were really, really taken by this theory, either in earnest or they thought it was funny. They'd show up to his lectures to draw, <laughs> to try and debate him. Um, and he was a pretty good debater, so he could... Uh, make a, a spectacle of it. And that theory has stuck around for the next um, 160 years or so, fairly unchanged. Yeah. So people thought it was a meme, like even back then in the mid-19th century, people like didn't take it seriously? It, it was absolutely a meme. And I sort of loved the research component of this book because there were so many historical figures that you can absolutely see who they are in a modern day internet context. Like this guy's a YouTuber, right? Give him a YouTube channel and let him talk and he is a wild success. He understood that people weren't necessarily going to believe flat earth theory, but that they would engage with it because it was so weird. And he played up that spectacle element too. He would try and invite scientists to his um lectures to get them to debate him. He would try, he would like have fake billings that said people were going to show up to these lectures who didn't. He completely understood that argument isn't necessarily bad. What's what's engaging about a conspiracy theory is that it's so weird and it's so scintillating and that even though people were going to come and debate him, a number of people in the audience would be convinced anyway. Why do you think people are so invested in this specific conspiracy theory? It's just, it seems like such a strange hill to die on. (laughs) It is really strange. I think the strangeness is part of what draws people to Flat Earth. I mean, that certainly happened to me uh, maybe from the opposite side. It was just so weird that I wanted to understand it better. Um, But... What I think is compelling about Flat Earth to a lot of people is that it offers a complete worldview. And you can be a conspiracy theorist and only believe in a few kind of fringe things and you know, still exist mostly in the mainstream, but think that there are um, chemtrails in the sky or whatever. Um, flat Earth is this 
huge force. It's almost like a religion in that it gives an entire new worldview. It lets you recreate reality from the ground up. And I think for people who um, feel like some elements of their life is lacking or that the available answers um, don't make sense to them, that they want a, a holistic new explanation of the world, flat earth is the answer. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned YouTube a little bit earlier, and you wrote a lot about how the YouTube algorithm is you know, talking people down a, a flat, taking people down a, a flat earth rabbit hole. Um, but ro- what role does apps like TikTok have in providing a platform to this conspiracy theory? Um, TikTok is, I think it's interesting. I haven't seen a ton of TikTok-fueled flat earth content. It's definitely not to say that it isn't there. But um, some of the biggest flat earth influencers are more YouTube types. And I think that's important because I think the the main demographic that I've seen like at a flat earth conference is maybe more Gen X. But that's not to say that there aren't young flat earthers and there isn't um, TikTok flat earth content. I think that conspiracy culture really, really performs well on any social media. Um, And if you can have like a tagline, like something about flat earth in a TikTok video, or you can highlight right up front that that's what's coming, people are going to stick around on that video because it's just too weird not to watch. And I think a lot of creators are canny enough to know that. So even if they're not fully invested in something like Flat Earth, they know that engaging with it is probably going to be good for engagement. I actually did a search before um, before this conversation on TikTok because this podcast is you know largely centered around like TikTok and internet culture in general. And I was really surprised because even looking up just the hashtag flat earth, it doesn't seem like TikTok is really making any effort to censor the hashtag at all. There are videos on there with like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. So how are these platforms like YouTube and like TikTok actually moderating this content? Do they label it disinformation like they would COVID-19 misinformation? Um. As far as YouTube goes, I mean, YouTube is like the primary vector, I think, for Flat Earth, at least when it was coming up, like starting 2014 onward. Like, this is a YouTube problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, their algorithm just way disproportionately promoted Flat Earth content. So you could be watching something that's only tangentially related to Flat Earth, like, I don't know, like 9-11 videos, and it would recommend Flat Earth because it was conspiracy content, or you could be watching just astronomy videos and it would recommend a Flat Earth video. Um, YouTube finally got wise to this problem after tons of criticism in 2019, so like five years after Flat Earth videos started skyrocketing. Um, They changed their algorithm to stop promoting Flat Earth videos that much. Um, They're supposed to be like kind of uh, not delisted, but Um, not promoted in the recommendation uh, tab that you have there. Um, But that's not to say that they're being removed or that you can't find them. You just need to know how to search for them. TikTok, I've seen even less uh, moderation of them. And I... (laughs) It's it's hard for me to speak to exactly what they're doing because it's such a black box in terms of 
how TikTok chooses to keep certain content online. Um, but I haven't seen much indication that they're really engaging with flat earth or similar theories as like a major threat. Yeah. And over the past few years, particularly with the Trump administration, the pandemic, conspiracy theories in general have gotten a lot more mainstream. So has there has the flat earth community also grown in kind and how much overlap is there between flat earth and Q and flat earth and anti-vax? It has definitely grown. And I think that overlap is part of the reason. Um, Flat Earth used to be sort of this like small community. um, And, you know, it it was this one weird thing that not many people bought into. But over the past five years or so, I feel like there's been a lot more bleed over between conspiracy realms. And, you know, some of that might be algorithmic as well. I have a fake Facebook page where I like join a couple uh, conspiracy communities and then just see what it recommends to me. So if I'm looking at um, chemtrails pages, it's going to start recommending pages um, for this apocalyptic uh, astrological conspiracy theory, which holds a special place in my heart, but I won't get into that one. Um, And so between like a Facebook recommending this crossover, a YouTube recommending this crossover, um, a TikTok algorithm, which is frankly terrifying to me. I don't know how it reads your mind. Um, there has been a lot more cross-pollination, I think, between conspiracy worlds. And so in your book, you write about how like even attempts to mock Flat Earth, such as Logan Paul's mockumentary um, and this Netflix documentary that premiered, I think, in 2018, which was very good and, and very critical of Flat Earth, end up drawing more attention to it and thus, you know, potentially recruiting more people to the movement. Do you ever worry about that with your own reporting or, or with writing this book even? I absolutely do. It's something that I keep very much in the forefront of my mind, you know, just as a reporter at the Daily Beast uh, covering this kind of thing. And then with this book as well, Uh, I think it is always a risk, but I think smart reporting on conspiracy theories is unfortunately necessary just due to the influence that they have in modern politics and the reach that they would have even without us. So I think that um, I think that Flat Earth documentary was very good. I think the Logan Paul mockumentary was very bad. <laughs> and the reason I say that is, um, do, these, do these forms of media help us understand uh, and combat conspiracy theories in a way that's necessary? Or are they just spectacle? I think when reporting on these topics, it's always, um, it's always critical, I think, to consider whether your reporting is going to make these communities happy. Um, And I think I have in earlier days maybe been guilty of amplifying things, um, you know, just pointing out something wacky online. Uh, And it's something I very much try to push back against today. I omit page names if if it's a Facebook group. I don't link out to things and I... um, I only reference these theories and these communities if it's coupled with analysis, if there's a relevant um, political hook. Otherwise, why post about it at all? What do you see as the future of the movement? I think the future of Flat Earth is um, its crossover. You know, it's not so much bringing completely... uh, 
complete normies into the theory because most people are not going to believe in flat earth. That's one thing that's kind of distinct about it. A lot of people can buy into like anti-vaccine theory, but very few people are going into flat earth just cold and being like, that's it. That's exactly right. Um, I believe no other conspiracy theories, but flat earth is the one. What I think flat earth is um, where it's, future lies is recruiting from other more popular conspiracy theories. So uh, we've seen the huge popularization of QAnon type theories um, or of anti-vaccine theories. And I'm seeing those groups become um, distribution centers for other conspiracy movements, including Flat Earth. So I think that um, Flat Earthers are diversifying their message I, I'm, you know, looking at Flat Earth pages that in 2017 were really on message, only Flat Earth stuff. And now they'll mix it up. They'll have anti-vax. They'll have election truther stuff. And that makes it a more palatable community for people who might not be completely on board with, with Flat Earth. I think those are their new targets. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Kelly, for coming Thank on the you. podcast and talking about this wild community in your new book. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Let's do himbo. So this week, I cannot think of anyone who deserves the himbo title more than at Ryan Dubs, (laughs) who describes himself as a creative director, which is a himbo profession, if ever I've heard one, and a skincare (laughs) guru, also a himbo profession. Um, And in this video, he claims to spend $2,000 a month on water alone. I spend over $2,000 a month on high-end water bottles delivered directly to my house. And as a water snob, it is such a luxury. I know what you're thinking, where do I keep it all? But I have four fridges, so I've got that part covered. Today was delivery day, so I'm about to load up my fridge, which is literally so satisfying. So every second of this is more baffling than the last. I had to watch (laughs) it multiple times just so I was sure that I was understanding because it was, my brain like had trouble processing yeah. all of this information. But basically, he has four fridges, which is, <laughs> I mean, that's that's wild in itself, <laughs> um, where he loads up all of these glass bottles of Voss water because he says he's a water snob and he hates the taste of tap water. And I feel like the, that in itself is not like wildly, un- like I know some yeah. people, mostly outside of New York, who like are not into the taste yeah. of tap yeah. water. But then... He says that he used to order Fiji water, but he stopped because it wasn't eco-friendly. And getting hundreds of glass bottles of Voss water shipped to your home is somehow a more environmentally friendly choice. (laughs) Also, Voss water, it's not, I don't know. It's not my favorite water. How would it, how does it rank? Like, do we want to do like a definitive? I think we should, honestly. I think it's important that we do this. Um, do a definitive okay, ranking I have a of controversial one, but I think it's okay. also because a product of my family, my family, like, like, you know, my mom or the tap water where I grew up was like not good at all. Like, it was mm-hmm. just, like, really, really gross. And, um, very <laughs> famously had given people in our town cancer. So we were very big on bottled water and mm-hmm. like Makes sense. having lots of cases of it. Um, for other reasons that weren't that we were water snobs. But I grew up drinking a lot of Dasani and people hate Dasani. It's good. I didn't realize it's it. really good. Thank and Dasani you. is really good. And I it's think good. Like, yeah. I would rank it. I would rank it two. Maybe I might rank it one. Honestly, like, yeah, I feel like my number one is a good old fashioned Poland spring. Nothing mm-hmm. has gotten yep. me through rougher times 
than a, a dollar Poland spring from the bodega, whether mm-hmm. it's at 4 a.m. or it's a struggle at 11 a.m. on a Saturday where I just load up on Poland springs. Like, mm. that water has never failed me. Get it from, a, like, a, you know, any sort of food truck. Just get it at any, like, pizza plate. Like, just a good old-fashioned Poland spring. It's the Taylor Swift ass- of water. It's, like, good yeah. for any mood, yeah. any any that environment, like, very bottle. mainstream. Uh, it's just a comforting sound. Mm-hmm. So I'm, you know, I I love a Poland Spring. What's your number one? I I agree with you. I completely agree with you. I would say Poland Spring, Dasani, wildly underrated, great for the airport if you want to love a Dasani for the airport. Love a Dasani for the airport. It always tastes cold. I don't know. I feel like it's colder than the other waters. It's good water. I mean, if you, I would, I I would rank Evian on the bottom. Evian tastes like milk. I love Evian, but I think it's because I associate it with rich people when I was younger, and I was very aspirationally rich. And so drinking at Evian, I just was obsessed with. And I also was really obsessed with Cameron Diaz used to get the Evian spray for her face. And I got it once and it was like a waste of money, but it made me feel rich. So when I drink Evian, I feel like I'm Cameron Diaz. You fell for the branding. Yeah. Because Evian brands itself as like high end to distract from the fact that it tastes like milk. That it's bottled water that tastes like milk. So you fell for that. You know what does taste like milk? And I think it's just because of the packaging is the, like, just water in the box, the box water. Mm-hmm. Have you had it? Tastes like milk every single time. Yeah, it does taste like milk. You're right. And I, I know it's because milk. of the box, but it tastes like milk. Every time I drink it, I'm like, this is a, this is a 1% milk. So I, I would rank, I think, Poland Spring, Dasani. Um, then maybe I would do Voss. Or, like, what's the water that Jennifer Aniston pedals? That water is pretty good. Oh, Smart Water. Smart Water. I think Smart Water is pretty good. Then I would do, so I would do Smart Water third. Then I would do Voss. And then I would do the Milk Waters. Mine, mine would be Poland Spring first. Um, Number two would be Dasani. Number three would be the Alkaline Water with like the black and red packaging on it. I love that water. I've never even, I don't even know what you're talking about. I love that water. That, that water is like a pH balanced water. That one, better than Gatorade. If you're not feeling well, like mm-hmm. that is that is the water that I always go to. It also comes in like really giant bottles, and so it's a really good water. The first time I ever had it was at a um, a a, a rave <laughs> that Zac Efron was was quote unquote DJing at mm-hmm. um, for his film, the EDM love story. We are your friends. One of my mm-hmm. b- favorite films of all time. It's the after party for the premiere, and it was at Marquee, and they were handing out bottles of this alkaline water that I was just chugging all night along with all the free um, vodka mixed drinks they were giving us. And I felt amazing the next day. I bet Zach, I bet Zach Efron is a water snub. He seems like... He definitely probably drinks like Voss. Yeah. I also really love um, Vosic water, like that European water in like the giant square bottles. Oh, that's oh. milk water. Milk water. That's I milk water. I love that water. Oh my... It's like Volik or Vos... I don't even know what it's called, but I, that's one of my favorite waters. Whenever I'm in Europe, I'm like stocking up on that. At first, I thought that this video was SpawnCon, actually. Yeah. Um, I thought th- it was like a parody. I thought this was like a parody of a rich person who's like, I'm a water stop. Then he showed his fridge and his boxes like, oh, this is just a real choice that he made. Well, I think it's just a troll because the video is hashtagged like luxury and wealthy mindset and rich. And yeah. I think he's just one of those creators who tries to make people angry by flaunting his insane lifestyle. Like, I think that's his brand. Because yeah. he also has videos where he spends, like, $10,000 on 
on a domain name. And honestly, like, good for him. I, I think that's yeah. a pretty good, it's a pretty good uh, way to get engagement. Like, the bottles themselves, like, whenever I've gotten them at, they will have them at, like, weird events, you know? And I've been on sets, like, you know, you go to someone's green room or something. They always have, like, fancy water bottles and stuff. So every time I've gotten, like, a fancy Voss water bottle at, like, a, like a photo shoot or, like, a video shoot, I'm, I'm like, I feel wealthy. And it's always in L.A. And I'm always like, oh, this is so L.A. of me. But you, ranked it, like five, you ranked it, like, four or five. But I'm bottle. not going to, I will never buy a Voss water. That's it's all just, of, like, image. It's all just, yeah, it's good it's all. It's definitely, because it's so expensive. Like, I would never in my life go out. I would never go to a, a bodega at four in the morning, leaving another Zac Efron rave to buy a Voss water bottle. No, thank you. If I'm going to spend a little extra, I'm going to get my pH balanced water and I'm going to feel great the next day. I do advocate for four four fridges, though. I think if you can if you can swing Absolutely four fridges, not. I would love four to fridges. have four fridges. I want one smeg fridge. That's what I would like. I would like one, one single what fridge? smeg. What's what smeg? What? It's like that like fancy fridge. It looks like kind of retro. It looks like a. I'll send a picture to you later. It's a very old school fridge. I, was I once dated a rich guy who had a fridge entirely for. This was before. Um, Lacroix, but he had a fridge yeah. entirely for flavored sparkling water. And I thought that was the fucking height of luxury. Like I was so much more impressed by that than anything else he had in his house. Yeah. Yeah. I have like I have friends with like mini fridges, you know, especially if they have roommates, like they have like a mini fridge in their room or in another room, you know. And that makes sense. But it's usually filled with like beer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not used for anything productive. <laughs> If I were so. rich, I would I would have four fridges, but I would not fill them with Voss water. And if I did, I would not put it on TikTok because I would be embarrassed. I would that. spend $10,000 on my Smeg fridge just for the <laughs> look of it. I would get a bright pink Smeg fridge. Is it called Smeg? Like Smegma? Like S-M-E-G? Oh, no, not, not like Smegma. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Don't ruin the fridge. <laughs> yeah, it's S-M-E-G. They have like all of their stuff. That's like Smegma. Uh, it's like I'm a, sorry. It's so gross. Um, it's just like really like they do all of these like fa- like fancy retro. Okay, it's not ten thousand dollars. It's twenty five hundred dollars. <laughs> but I just want one of those like pink fridges. Imagine me with a pink fridge. Oh, it'd be so powerful. I know color colored fridges are so powerful. It's like a real power move. I know. And anyone can have like a stainless steel fridge, but like having a colored bright pink fridge and I fill it with my alkaline water and that's it thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop This Week in TikTok brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network written and hosted by me EJ Dixon and Brittany Spanos executive produced by Jason Fine Bridget Chelsea and Elizabeth Garber-Paul edited by Dan Stein and original music composed by Daniel Mertzloft see you next week 